tuning into the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Matt Kness, CEO of online resale marketplace Goodwill Finds, which launched in October. Matt has an extensive retail background with a heavy focus on e-commerce. As Walmart's head of U.S. e-commerce, the CEO of ModCloth, and for eight years, Urban's chief strategy officer. I wanted to ask Matt about the opportunity he sees in resale and about his plans to grow Goodwill Finds into a dangerous competitor in the crowded resale category. Welcome, Matt. Great to be here, Jill. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Do you like the word dangerous? <laughs> Look out. Yeah, it's been a few years since anybody called me dangerous, but I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes sense in this context. Tell me about your road to Goodwill Finds, the draw. Yes. Uh, great. Well, thanks for the intro. Um, I have been in e-commerce and fashion for 15, 18 years or so. I got my start at Urban Outfitters back in 07, uh, 08 time frame when Web 2.0 was really kind of first beginning to scale with a lot of brands. And that was a ton of fun. I was there for eight years. We grew e-com from a hundred million to a billion during my time there. And so that's really where I learned um, kind of firsthand the opportunity to scale um, a, a smaller e-commerce business, but also the importance of brand and thinking about the customer. And so when I went to ModCloth after that as CEO, um, the business was a pure play e-tailer and we took it into the uh, offline world. So kind of a, the opposite uh, path. And so again, importance of the customer, importance of brand and uh, living where the customer is both on and offline. And then we sold that business to Walmart, how, which is how I found myself there for a year. And then I've you know been doing a few things since. And really what drew me to this uh, is a couple of things. First is this is it's similar to those other experiences I referenced where we're at an inflection point in the resale category. Um, you know, a lot of the new incumbents, Poshmark, ThreadUp, RealReal, StockX and the like launched in the last five to 10 years, but it's really coming out of COVID where the Gen Z consumer has said, there's no stigma on secondhand. And, uh, and so that, coupled with a lot of advancements in technology, has allowed for resale to scale profitably. And so I was drawn to that that uh, challenge, that inflection point in the market, but more so the mission of goodwill, the brand purpose of improving lives through the power of work, but then also this massive environmental sustainability impact that the brand has diverting billions of pounds a year out of landfills based on donations getting resold. Uh, I was just so drawn into the mission, the brand purpose. And so when I first uh, talked to the founders, uh, uh, I was, I was kind of all in and I joined last summer and we launched in October, as you mentioned, and now we're about six months post-launch and Excited to share more about what we're up to. It's kind of an exceptional thing to say in fashion. I hear a lot of folks who have maybe pivoted uh, from away from 
the fashion industry, or um, maybe they decided to do something where it's they're taking a more organic approach to the industry, um, where they're just so turned off by the waste. Um, would to be able to say, I'm doing something that's doing good and I'm working in fashion. I mean, very, very much a draw, I would think. Tell me about, we got to dig in, but like the customers, are, are you leading with the sustainability and marketing? To what extent? A lot of brands are telling me, you know, maybe if they produce more sustainably or they're, they're working toward targets in the area of sustainability. Currently, you know, they're not talking about it much. Brand, uh, customers that dig in almost see it as the icing on the cake. Like they're, that's not inspiring their purchases, but they like it when they see it. How would you describe it? Yeah, the, um, it is historically, traditionally more of a tiebreaker in yeah. how customers think about uh, why, they, why they purchase and where they shop. Um, I go back to my days at Urban when Everlane and Reformation were first kind of coming on the scene. And as, um, as radical uh, of an idea that Everlane was when they first launched with the transparency and showing their bill material and going all the way back into the supply chain of, of the factories, I was always more inspired by Reformation and how closely they integrated sustainability into their brand position. I think their tagline is uh, going naked is the most sustainable option. We're the second. Nice. (laughs) So for me, it's always been about uh, not this like thing on the side, but how do you make it core to who you are as a brand and, and your business model and what your consumer believes are your brand promises that you're trying to keep every day. My year at Walmart, which is a which is not fashion, right? They're a mass merchant. But I saw from inside the walls there that they incorporated sustainability into their business model by really driving home, um, making sure that they were using technology to uh, be able to go all the way back in their supply chain to know where all their fresh grocery was coming from. So they could promise to the customer that this is truly organic and this is truly fresh. And if something break, you know, breaks out that isn't good, they know exactly what batch it was sourced from. So, I, so I've seen a couple of examples before coming here to Goodwill Finds as to how to make it not part of your marketing, but part of your business model. And so my your question now about the customer at Goodwill Finds. I would tell you that we're primarily attracting customers that are value-driven. So kind of the traditional store thrifter going into a Goodwill store or other thrift shop looking for value for the price for deals. And we're also, we're attracting a friend-driven vintage shopper, which is very much you know kind of in line with fashion and a younger consumer that doesn't have the discretionary income to spend and needs to put together all these looks because they're now living online so much. And it's a great way to get really cool looks that are one of a kind at a great price to be able to build a wardrobe really quickly, uh, you know, in this Instagram, TikTok world. So we're, we're seeing both show up. There's this third segment of customer I call the conscious consumer 
that is overtly looking for places to shop and items to buy because of ethical sourcing, because of ESG considerations, harder to quantify. I don't know that we're serving that customer today, but we aspire to over time. You're unique in that this is not sellers. You're not trying to compete for sellers. These are folks who are making donations, correct? Tell me about the overlap in terms of your assortment versus what somebody will find in store or how, what, what is the divide? What determines that? Yeah. So first I'll just say Goodwill Finds is a 501c3. So we are a nonprofit. We do have a license with Goodwill Industries International, just like the 155 individual Goodwill members that are around the country. And so we are a separate entity from the parent company, and we are separate from the members that operate the stores. But we are partnering today exclusively with the members. We have four members on the platform today, which means that we have over 150 more to go. So we are going to be dramatically scaling our supply this year and in the years to come as we go from four to 40 to over 100 members selling on our platform. What we've seen with the members selling so far is that we're selling less than 1% of the items that they have donated that are then resold. So it is a very small percentage of the donations. Certain categories just sell better online. And so we're leaning into those. But we also want to sell apparel, which doesn't necessarily sell better online, but so much of the donations to Goodwills is clothing. Yes. Part of our mission is to figure out how to unlock selling secondhand apparel with all the other categories to the same market. But it's highly complimentary to the consumer because you can still go into your Goodwill store and thrift shop 99% of the donations that are there, but then you go home and now you're thrift shopping from across the country. Because what we're selling comes from L.A. and Seattle and Chicago and Colorado and soon to be other parts of the country. And that's a really unique, cool experience to thrift shop because so much of what's donated is based on the local culture, based on the local aesthetic, based on the local region. And so it's really fun for us because we have this massive eclectic catalog that I think is a thrifter's dream. For sure. Well, tell me, because what does sell online? Is it about the fact that it's less so? What percentage would you say is fashion um, in terms of your assortment and your sales um, or apparel? And um, is it more home goods? Um, I would think that would be difficult shipping. But yeah, tell me what's selling. So we are selling uh, about 25% apparel, clothing, handbags, shoes, uh, accessories. And then the the balance of it is electronics, jewelry, uh, media, um, books. We sell um, home goods. We sell collectibles. Uh, So it's a really wide assortment that we're building. And each category, if you think about the other players, you know, there are these niche marketplaces for sneakerheads. There's niche marketplaces yes. for luxury handbags. There's niche marketplaces for 
uh, designer apparel. We have all of that. And we also are serving the, the value-oriented shopper that's less driven by brand and label and more driven by value and deal. So we're trying to capture both. But I mean, if you go to our site, you'll see that you know we are selling you know some of the hottest brands in the industry across multiple categories. We have the best donators in the world. I mean, it's really amazing what they share. We've sold original um, uh, Picassos. I mean, it's like it's wild some of the things that get donated. And so we we're really having fun as we see what get, comes in. And then, you know, try to match that with, you know, the various different shoppers that we're serving. I mean, to what would you owe this? (laughs) The fact that people are just like, they could be making great money. It's just easier to kind of, for some, to just purge and dump it off at a goodwill. Or how would you, what, what do you think is going on there? Well, I think a lot of it is that it's convenience. Yeah. You know, that you're cleaning out your closet, your... Um, maybe you have a loved one that is, you know, downsizing, maybe you're helping somebody move, but I also think there's a real affinity for the Goodwill brand because so many of us, when we were younger and didn't have a lot of money, we would thrift shop at Goodwill because you'd find these amazing items that were buried in a sea of, of merchandise at these great deals And so I think a lot of it is affinity that people have where they feel like they want to give back and they want to um, donate to Goodwill versus spending a lot of energy trying to be a seller on a peer-to-peer site or, you know, the amount of effort that goes into sending in an item for sale at a managed marketplace. And then you come to find out months later that, Half of it didn't sell above the clearing price and the commission check is tiny. And so I think for us, it's super convenient because we have stores across the country where you can just load up your car, drive in, drop it off. You get the the benefit of the tax write-off. So we we give you the receipt. Um, And I also think that there's something about circularity that this younger consumer really cares about and they want to see these items get reused and not necessarily exploit it for profit. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of great motivations as to why we're able to get such quality products through donations. Yeah. Well, it's still early days. And I know that you were one of the early employees um, within the company. Employee too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How large is the company now? And and who who are the folks making up the company? We're So I was employee too. Uh, we're now over 20 uh, full-time employees. We're, we're likely scaling to uh, 40 or 50 this year. Uh, we're a technology venture. So you know, we're building on top of Salesforce as our uh, primary technology stack, but we're building out uh, proprietary tools for sellers to be able to list quickly. We're building out proprietary tools on the demand generation side. So uh, data models for our customer acquisition and retention. And we're building out proprietary tools to help our Goodwill members with their pick, pack, and ship and their outbound logistics. And so as we build all that vertically, each Goodwill member is able to leverage those investments, leverage those capabilities in one central location, which is really unique in the 100-year-plus legacy of the Goodwill network that is a franchise model. It's 155 Goodwills that operate distinct and locally, 
this is perhaps the first modern digital central effort that they're able to take advantage of where they can take advantage of our house file, take advantage of our technology investments, take advantage of our roadmap, the services provided in a shared way, which brings them a lot of benefits as sellers. And then on the consumer side, the first time you've had a fixed price, unified catalog, where you can shop one marketplace, one uh, customer experience, and uh, from the convenience of your home across the nation. So we're really excited. We think that the model is unique, differentiated compared to the other players. And we have a ton of unfair advantages that we're uh, absolutely exploiting to the to the degree we can. Tell me what was happening prior. So um, the stores, the sellers were working with other marketplaces, kind of one-offs, wherever they so chose. Like there wasn't a, a common factor or a common go-to place. Yeah, so the Goodwill members uh, individually have been pretty uh, innovative and participated in e-commerce for over 20 years. So this goes back to the late 90s and when uh, eBay and Amazon you know, kind of first came on the scene. Yeah. Um, that said, they've primarily been third-party sellers through other people's marketplaces. And so if you think about... Um, Amazon, you buy a brand new book, you go through the checkout flow, and they give you an option to buy used. Yep. There's a good chance that book came from a Goodwill seller. Nice. So that makes um, sense. So that's one, been one primary channel for them. They 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 also have storefronts individually uh, on the eBay platform and uh, um, a lot of different categories like jewelry and electronics sell well there, but it's an primarily an auction format. Oh, okay. Uh, and then there's also been a couple regional players um, within the Goodwill network that have done their own uh, e-commerce model. Uh, one for books, one that's been multi-category, but exclusively auction. And it's just not the way that this secondhand consumer shops. They're used to shopping fixed price, building a basket across multiple categories. And they also want to have personalization. They want to have, um, you know, uh, customer service that's geared towards them specifically. And they love the opportunity to interact with their local goodwill and learn about the the brand stories and the mission moments and the things that we're talking about from a brand marketing perspective. So, you know, it's not that the goodwill members haven't been involved in e-commerce. It's just been very fragmented and decentralized. And this is the first time that we've tried to pull it together in a modern way and, and really go after growth. Yes. I think you used the term uh, company tech platform. Um, I think I also read somewhere where it was referred to as an AI platform. Tell me the importance, I guess, of AI in your operations and in your direction. And I guess in, in terms of how it relates to the new standards, the emerging standards of e-commerce and competing in this space. AI is the buzz term of the uh, of the moment. Yes. Yeah. It so is. I'm on my team's case to talk more about it, write more about it. Everybody sees the opportunity. We blame or think, I don't know, chat GBT, I think, <laughs> for all the buzz, but talk yeah. to me. Well, we're, yeah, so um, to be clear, we're not building AI. We're, we're taking advantage of AI uh, capabilities within the Salesforce suite. Yeah products. So 
that gives us an advantage where we can tap into the latest advances in AI without having to build it directly. The applications are pretty similar to what you'd think about in e-commerce. Um, first and foremost, uh, AI is being leveraged for pricing. That's probably the biggest hurdle that you have to get over in this category because everything's a one-off. And so like trying to, trying to figure out at scale for hundreds of thousands of items, how do you price each individually? Yeah, you need to leverage technology and AI is um, very efficient at looking across your uh, catalog and your sales history, coupling that with scraping the web to see where else items are listed um, that look alike. And then to be able to in real time bring recommendations for price and other product detail uh, information individual lister and seller is something that we're taking advantage of that as we grow and as we add more members and we scale that will get fine-tuned and that will become tighter when we launched our pricing was all over the place which we knew was going to happen but um, as we're building these models and as we're getting smarter and tapping into what ai can uh, enable we're starting to fine-tune it and we're, we're getting better at where we initially price uh, there's also pricing across the catalog. And so like when when do you mark down? When do you take pricing action? When do you promote? Um, what recommendations do you bring into the, the user experience? Because liquidity is probably the most important feature of a marketplace where you're matching supply and demand. So as we scale sellers and grow our catalog, and as we acquire customers and grow our house file, we need to make sure that not just the categories that are selling the most and the customers that are buying the most match up, but the long tail of customers and items in the catalog match up. So AI allows you to leverage those data models to quickly figure out where can we make recommendations or promote product or use pricing action to drive conversion so that we're continuing to turn over the catalog and drive liquidity. And then the last thing I'd say on AI is, um, as we do personalization, um, as we, we get better at integrating within social commerce and integrating within um, our omni-channel and thinking about ways to make what we're doing more relevant for our customers, not just online, but when they're in the store environment, uh, that's yeah. We're not there yet, but that's another area that we're, um, that's on a roadmap that we're excited to explore tapping into AI. That's exciting. Tell me, you're carrying some higher end brands and maybe AI is part of this process as well, but is authentication very top of mind and crucial? What's going on there? We have uh, an authentication service uh, at our members at the donation center. So oh, got it. Um, when items are donated and there are items of a certain value or brand or profile, uh, we will um, use an authentication service at the point of donation to uh, verify that it's not a fake. And then we are able to generate an authentication certificate that we sell with the item. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You talked a little bit about your pricing and it just rang a bell. It's a little bit, I'm veering left and right here, but I was just at South by Southwest. And I popped into this high-end resale company called Moss. That's a local company. And I had not seen it, um, I guess, 
um, so in my face about the pricing and, and their strategy, which was like, when I walked in, they were like, let me, have you heard about our 90 day pricing strategy? And apparently, you know, they put it on the floor after 90 days. If it doesn't sell, they mark it down this much, pretty, pretty good chunk for these, these higher end things. And then there's another, um, time frame where they mark it down again. Um, and it's just as a rule. Um, it, do you envision something like that happening where you said, if it doesn't sell, you know, we'll be bringing it down. I don't know if that's how you said it. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting is if you look at the Goodwill store model, that's what they do today. Uh, I'm going to speak in kind of broad numbers, but um, the context here. Goodwill, 155 members, collectively did about $6 billion in revenue last year across the entire network. So it's a massive enterprise, but not centrally controlled or operated. So again, it's a consortium of sorts. It's a franchise network that are individually run, but that they all share the same brand and they all share the same purpose and the collective social impact that $6 billion in resale led to over £3 billion of goods delivered from landfill last year. And Amazing. hundreds of thousands of individual lives impacted by job placement or job training. So the scale, the social impact at scale of the Goodwill Network is the thing that really grabbed me. And we're like really excited about our brand marketing and telling the stories and getting it out there because I think everything's a Goodwill. It's this amazing thrift shop that I went to and I get to donate some goods to, but I don't think people realize the magnitude of the social impact. And so um, as we take on this new venture with Goodwill Finds, we want to honor that legacy and mimic and complement the store experience. And so the store experience today is everything is designed to sell in four weeks or is then taken to secondary channels for sale. It's it. the same concept of like after the first week, it's marked down and the second week marked down further. And the third week, you get the third mark. And after the fourth week, it's pulled off the floor. So they're absolutely training the customer to buy it when they see it. We're in the process of figuring out how to do that. So we're starting with a longer hold period, 90 plus days. But as we're able to fine tune our pricing algorithm and our markdown cadence and as we begin to open up other marketplaces to sell on so we're going to be cross-listing and co-listing aged items on amazon and ebay we've had some retailers reach out to us and ask us if we would put our aged catalog on their marketplace because we have secondary second hand good supply that most folks it's it's a struggle to get as much supply as we have they want us to sell within their online catalog. So what I'm imagining is as we scale, you're going to find our donated items selling exclusively on Goodwill finds for a period of time. And for aged items that we aren't able to clear within a certain period of time, we'll then sell it at Amazon, eBay, and dozens of other marketplaces that sell secondhand because we have to make sure that we're providing liquidity to the members so that they're able to turn over these goods. And also we want to be consistent in telling the buyer, the customer, when you see it, buy it, 
because yeah. we're pricing it to move. And if it's not moving, we're going to mark it down aggressively. And we want people to, to, to be able to have the confidence that when they see it and they like it and it's a good price that they just purchase. That's so interesting. Do you envision that kind of B2B business being a large portion of your business? Absolutely. I mean, we, I would tell you that we are pioneering a new business model in circularity. So we're not a managed marketplace where we take possession of the goods like a thread up or a real real. And we're not a peer-to-peer marketplace like a Poshmark or a Depop where that's just a software uh, platform that are helping peers connect on the buy and the sell side. We're a B2B2C business place. So we have a, a three-sided marketplace. We have members that we serve to help them list and um, automate their outbound shipping. We have consumers and resellers, in fact, that come to our website to purchase the goods. And then we have the broader network and the mission as a nonprofit that we serve because the, all, the, all the proceeds from every item we sell goes right back to the location where the item was donated. Oh, and wow. Those funds then go directly to support the local mission in the local community where the item is donated. And so that circularity of I go to my local Goodwill, I choose to donate there versus going through the effort of being a reseller. I know that when they list that on goodwillfinds.com and they get the best price, that that money is going right back to the mission that that local Goodwill serves in job training, job placement, but also other services that they provide to the local community, um, which is extensive and and, and unique to uh, each geography. So uh, we're really excited about what we're building, but we're also really excited to pioneer a different way to think about circularity. And my mantra is a, a high tide raises all boats. So I think as every secondhand marketplace has success, it's all of our success. So we want everyone to do well here because the more the consumer votes yes and says, I want to consider secondhand before I buy fast fashion or I buy overproduced goods that were made in a part of the planet that are not regulated and are bad for the planet, that that's going to be good for everybody. It's going to be good for society. It's going to be good for communities. It's going to be good for the consumer. Um, and so I, I just think this is one of those unique opportunities where it's a win-win-win. For sure. You talked about scaling. You have very ambitious plans. <laughs> what is it going to take to get there? Are you active, like you said, hiring, hiring, um, growing the company to enable all of this assortment? I read like a million items by the end of the year, but tell me if that's correct. So we launched with uh, 120,000 items or so back in October. We're now approaching 250,000 items. And we're uh, in the process of onboarding a lot more Goodwills um, this spring and, and throughout 2023, which by my estimates will have us approaching a million unique items in the catalog by the end of this year. So that's the goal, which would be a um, you know, let's call it an 8x in supply from when we launched to the end of this year. And then on the demand side, uh, we're seeing uh, really great retention where customers are finding us, they're buying, and they're like, this assortment and the value we get is so incredible. 
Uh, so we're seeing really great repeat rates, which gives us a lot of confidence that we can scale our customer acquisition. But we also want to continue to tell the story and get the brand out there because I, I think people that know Goodwill and they learn about this are curious and they come check us out and they shop. But there's a lot of younger customers or there's a lot of consumers out there that don't think about us as a place to thrift. Um, so we're really trying to get the word out and not just tell the brand story and, and share the, the, the impact that we have as, a, as our mission. But we really want to compete from a demand perspective and get shoppers to think about us before they shop at these other for-profit marketplaces and for the yes. obvious reasons. Well, um, there's obviously... Scale, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Just, and as we scale demand... We're really excited to begin to, to partner with the industry because I, I think we are uniquely positioned to be a partner to brands that care about circularity, that care about ESG, that care about end of life. They want to tell a story to their customers about how they're taking care of their returns, their damaged goods, their unsellables, and where they're directing their customers to, to dispose of, of items that they bought years ago. And so we we've already had a lot of conversations with luxury brands, designers, and, and other brands in the market that said, how can we participate? How can we have a shop on your platform? And how can we think about, you know, a way to, to partner with you as the same way that retailers have asked us if we would share our catalog with their marketplace. So it's, we have so much work to do this year that it's not, it's not a burning platform, but I think as we scale, Goodwill finds could become a unifying platform across the entire industry for how to um, how to lead circularity for retailers, for brands, for consumers, um, as well as for mission. That's really interesting. I can't. So, what, do you envision that there will be maybe a link to resale on a on a brand site, and it takes to your a customer to your inventory? Um, they're shopping via. Goodwill finds, or what do you envision that looking like in terms of a brand's resale play? So if you go to our site right now, you know, we're selling Nike, Patagonia, um, Lululemon, Free People, Carhartt, Levi's, right? So some really big brands yep. that people love. And as you, they're really successful brands who've been around for a long time. So there's a lot of secondhand product out in the market. And so I can envision a world where we work with brands like those or others, where there is a branded shop on our platform, you know, goodwillfinds.com backslash brand name shop, where we curate and pull out from all of our donations, their branded goods so that our consumers can have a branded experience as well as to be able to work with those brands on the goods that are end of life that they want to make sure that they dispose of responsibly, that they can partner with their local physical goodwill location and donation center to get those goods put into the same branded shop on our platform. Which is So it's a win for the brand. It's a win for the customers. It's a win for our mission because it, that would just drive our supply and sales. So we're able to give back more to those local goodwills. And then I think over time, you know, that will become sort of a playbook for how brands think about end of life where they're directing their customers or giving them incentives to donate versus to throw away. So smart. How are you winning customers now? How are you competing? How are you marketing? 
What's working? We're doing very little in the paid marketing space today, in part because the earned media response has been so strong. Um, as we've been telling the story and as we've been sharing our progress and as we've been unveiling you know, new features and new brands that we're highlighting on the site, um, the response from consumers has just been dramatic. I mean, we're already you know, at over a quarter million um, subscribers to our email list, you know, in, in barely five months. Um, so it's not just traffic to the site and purchasers, but it's people signing up and subscribing and saying, I want to learn more. I want to be part of this journey in this community. So that's a big piece of how we're winning over is we're just getting out, telling the brand story. Um, we're also partnering with our Goodwill members because they have collectively millions of customers in their stores who already shop in the same categories, who already love the brand and trust Goodwill. And so we're working to convert them from single channel customers to be multi-channel customers, which I think there's a lot of research over decades that say a multi-channel customer is worth more and is loyal with your brand longer. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is we're playing with social media and influencers and you know TikTok and Instagram and some other platforms where we're trying to find like what is the right uh, formula. I don't think we have it yet, but you know we're experimenting like everybody else is and trying to figure out how to reach consumers that really care about what we're doing. And so in a in a you know in a world where Facebook is you know harder to track, and in a world where there's so much noise and content that you're competing with. Um, the the bar has been higher, but I'm confident that our message is strong and breaks through. And so, you know, we're uh, we're having fun trying to figure out what that looks like. Oh my gosh, the power of the multi-channel customer! I I feel like I don't hear it enough, but so true. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things I've learned in my 20 years. I got so I'll just step back quickly. I got into this industry as a full-time consultant at Burton Snowboards when. Oh, cool when snowboarding was crossing over in the mainstream for the first time. And then I go from working there to the eight years at Urban Outfitters, which also owns Anthropology and Free People and a number of other brands and Newly, which is killing it by the way on the- I love Newly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they're doing is so innovative around rental and resale. And then I went to ModCloth and um, did some work with Afterpay, um, spent time at Walmart, spent time at Lucky Brand. And what I've learned is a couple of things. One, great brands have a narrow focus and a wide appeal. And so mining who the customer that you have today and really, really obsessing about what she and he want, what their feedback is, where they're begging you to be better, where they're asking you to do more. And just making sure that your execution lines up with those brand promises is table stakes for me in any enterprise I'm involved in. And so we're doing that. But at the same time, you have to make sure that the way you tell the brand story is broad enough to appeal to a big enough market that will allow you to scale as you improve the customer experience, as you improve the product that you're offering, as you improve the 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 value that the customer derives so that's like one philosophy i have is narrow focus wide appeal the second is um 
don't fire the customer you have hoping to acquire a customer you don't, which is a big misstep I've seen a lot of brands and retailers make over the years when they try to do a transformation or they try to grow too quickly. And so I keep coming back to, we have this amazing customer who already loves Goodwill in the store and we're not doing a good enough job serving him and her. So we're hyper-focused on how do we make sure that we're including them? How do we love the customer we already have at the brand level, not just for our marketplace? And how do we then activate community? We're not building a separate community. And that word is bankrupted by marketers. But we actually have a community of people around the Goodwill brand. So we're just finding ways to activate them to let them participate, to give them more ways to engage, to make it more convenient and easy through digital means. And over time, they'll do the work for us because your brand is as valuable as two people talking about your brand when you're not there. And so the better we do at delivering value to this community and activating it, then they'll do the work in letting other people know Hey, did you hear about Goodwill Finds and what they're doing online? Hey, did you hear about you know, these, these new um, features that they're integrating into the store because of the shared technology platform? And so that's how I'm envisioning us continuing to scale the demand side as well. That makes great sense. You talked about <laughs> um, being part of when snowboards were crossing over to the mainstream, Ben on our our producer over there was talking about, uh, in almost in the same way, resale, um, thrifting coming into the mainstream. He called it the gentrification of thrifting. But honestly, everybody, it's chic to thrift. Um, tell me about who your customer is now. You mentioned Gen Z a couple of times. And whether you're not going to be turning your back on any customer, but the, the target, what, what, what are you eyeing? Who yeah, are I, you eyeing? I'd say, I'd say today we have four primary customer segments. Um, we are doing a really great job in certain categories competing with ThreadUp, Poshmark, Depop, RealReal, StockX. So when you come into our site, you know, you can get a pair of vintage Air Jordans, you know, you can get uh, fine jewelry, you can get um, Chanel. Um, like like we are we are competing for that market with those other marketplaces because we have the brands, because we have a massive assortment, maybe one of the biggest specialty secondhand assortments in the U.S. already, and, and scaling quickly. As I said, it's a, it's a rising tide for all those players. So I mentioned them by name because I want them all to do well, and we're all going to push each other to get better and to figure out how to serve the customer because the customer is saying there's no more stigma on secondhand. And I want to consider it before fast fashion and other categories that I know isn't good for the planet. So we are all riding the same wave and we are participating in that wave. That's the first segment. The second is the store customer. That's more the traditional value channel customer that has a fixed budget in the household and these and is less brand driven, less trend driven and more value driven. And I would tell you that we're not doing a good enough job today at Goodwill Finds compared to in the store. And so we're working like crazy right now to figure out how to bridge the gap. But that is one of our core audiences. And we want to make sure that if you can find a pair of uh, denim that in your size and 
in one of our store in one of the Goodwill stores for 10 bucks that you can get the exact same value and experience shopping at our site. And today we're not delivering it, but that's a second core segment. There's also this third segment of resellers. And so this is fascinating to me. I was not aware of it before I got involved in this venture that there is this, this, um, you can go onto Reddit and, and read the message boards. It's so fascinating, but there is a real hustle culture in this country of resellers that go into Goodwills and find, you know, these amazing values and then they relist it. And I think that's wonderful. And I love the fact that they found our site and we're able to make it easier for them to, to be a reseller because they can build a basket of 49 items in one checkout flow and shop versus having to go into single auctions one at a time and wait days to see if they want it. So like we're embracing that market big time. Um, but I also think that it's just akin to what influencers are doing online and uh, social shopping and live stream selling. And so what we're thinking about is how do we as a platform make it easier for influencers and for resellers to leverage our catalog and maybe even sell our items through their either offline or online selling channels. And then we just have like an affiliate commission relationship with them and they don't have to do the work of managing the inventory and buying it and reselling it, et cetera. So we love that market. We think that they are a healthy part of the, the ecosystem. The same way that when you go into a ticket master, there's consumers that shop for tickets, but there's also resellers that come in and buy bulk and provide liquidity. We see that same phenomenon happening here. So that's the third segment. And then the fourth segment I mentioned is this conscious consumer. And I think that this is maybe the holy grail for secondhand is where the, the first segment of trend-driven vintage shoppers is a younger demo. I believe 40% of our current customers are 35 and younger. So we are absolutely hitting the Gen Z and younger millennials uh, in our target, in our current demo. And the second segment I mentioned, which is these, these, you know, kind of value oriented households, that is a broad demographic, but the conscious consumer, I think is a more affluent, more mature, sophisticated shopper that really thinks about legacy and impact and give back and is shopping with their children and their neighbors and the, and the story around it really matters to them. And it's not just look at this, this Chanel bag that I found, but guess where I found it. And let me tell you about their mission. Let me tell you about the impact that they had last year. And so that fourth one harder to measure, but I think that ultimately they're going to be one of the biggest forces in scaling resale across the U.S. this year and beyond. Nice. Well, this is so fun. I have to ask you because I am a Goodwill shopper. First of all, if I found some Air Jordans at a Goodwill <laughs> on your site, I'd be like, score. Thank you very much. But my like main, I talk about it all the time. This I found a $6 skirt from you know, a Dior skirt at one point in my life. I still have it. I still talk about where I got it and it was only $6. Um, but <laughs> what's the late, have, are you shopping? Are you shopping your, your own site? What, what's your latest find that you love and where? Oh my God. Well, so I've been down the rabbit hole on collectibles buying, I have three teenage children, Gen Z, and we're having this moment. I live in Philadelphia area. And we're having this moment in 
the local sports teams. And so I've been down the rabbit hole at sports memorabilia and um, uh, sports uh, apparel. And we're in the process of bringing on more goodwills from across the country. And I'm like banging myself on the head. How have I not reached out to the local Metro Philadelphia goodwill so I can get access to all the donations in the Philadelphia area so I can start shopping for my Eagles and Phillies and Sixers and Flyers gear. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I'd say is um, the jewelry section is amazing. Uh, oh. Yeah, like, like you, I, I was, I'm still shocked at the quality of what we get. Uh, watches, um, really cool vintage uh, rings and bracelets, um, as well as some designer. And so, you know, as I think about not just shopping for myself, but also for my wife, you know, I've been down the rabbit hole and I've made a few purchases there. There's nothing yeah. more fun and that, than I, I, hunting. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's good. We'll find it's like, it's meant to be a hunt. It's meant to be this like fun. You don't know what you're going to see. And when you have a quarter million unique items across all these categories sourced from across the entire country, it really is this like amazing eclectic grab bag discovery that uh, is unique in the market. I think consumers that are finding it are loving it and uh, and they're voting yes, yes, yes by coming back and buying more across all these categories. So we're, we're really excited that we get to deliver on this and build it and be the stewards of this amazing brand and mission. Um, and we just welcome all comers to come check us out and any potential partners who want to uh, help us pioneer circularity in America. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to watch you grow, see all you do. Matt, thank you so much for being here. This was great. I love the joke. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you inviting me. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.